This is Warner Lewis, and welcome to another edition of Lewis at Large, smart talk and conversation with talented people from all walks of life. A reminder to subscribe to these Lewis at Large podcasts, go to Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you like the podcast, hey, let others know about it. For context, my conversation with author Craig Taylor was recorded in March of 2021. We're pleased to have with us for this segment, uh, Craig Taylor. He has never uh, been on our air before, but we're pleased to have him uh, for the first time here. He is the co-author of best-selling works such as Londoners, as well as One Million Tiny Plays About Britain and Return to Aikenfield. You've seen his writing in the New York Times, The Guardian, The Globe, uh, and Mail, and McSweeney's. He lives in Western Canada, and that part intrigues me maybe the most. But we're going to be focusing on uh, a really interesting new work called New Yorkers, a city, its people, and our time. Uh, my gosh, the Big Apple, what can you say about it? We've talked about it many times here. Interested to hear his take on it. I'm pleased to have him here. Craig, uh, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, pleased to have you here again, like I've said. I, I am kind of curious. Uh, share with our Lewis at Large listeners, if you would, a little bit. Uh, you started, uh, you, you've done several works, obviously, as an author on your own. But tell us a little bit about the path that took you towards writing and journalism in general. Well, I started um, producing my own little magazines, uh, photocopying my own little magazines. I worked at a hardware store here in Canada called Canadian Tire, and I overheard a lot of conversations. And those became little plays, which became a, a self-published photocopied magazine. And eventually that became a column in The Guardian, and then it became a book. So I'm a big fan of people who just get out there and, and start it themselves, who, who make their own magazines. That's what I did. Which led ultimately then... Uh, to writing. Do you have a particular preference? Is one more a labor of love for you to write a book versus writing a column or writing a series? Books are definitely my real love. They're huge undertakings. They can take so much time. They should take so much time. It's years of your life. And, and my books have really been great excuses to go into these places that I love, like New York and and learn about people. I mean, I was given the chance to go to New York and speak to 200 New Yorkers who wouldn't leap at that, you know. So I see the books as being great excuses to go and learn about the world. Again, for, the, for and to do the research for this, uh, you went and lived in New York for quite a while. And this book is really, in addition to your observations, obviously, in the weaving uh, of the resource material here. You interviewed, what, somewhere in the north of 75 people, and this, in essence, is a collection of some of those experiences, correct? Yes. I went to New York and spoke to uh, 100 people altogether. I mean, some of them were very short conversations, but uh, 75 of those people I interviewed ended up in the book. These are interviews that span years. I really got to know people, and... Um, the book is like a, uh, an oral portrait of the city. It's 75 narrators telling their views in their own words about, about life in New York, the pain, the struggle, the exhilaration of, of being in this city. So, yeah, it's really a book about voice. And this is really focuses primarily on the last 20 years. Is that, is that a fair statement, or do some of these people 
uh, have they lived in the city for decades and are sharing all of that, or is this primarily roughly sort of in the years 2000 and beyond? Yeah, some people do dip back into their into their past, and I did speak to some people who had been there many decades. But for the most part, the last 20 years have been very dramatic in New York. There have been a lot of events and uh, a lot of instances of really big-ticket resilience. You know, it, when, when you go from 9-11 up through the financial crisis, Hurricane Sandy, um, and what's happening now with the pandemic, there's a lot for people to talk about. And that's just the big stuff. Um, I was also interested in sort of the, you know, the the other resilience that came with just living in the city. So it's a, right. the book is a combination of, of the big things that have happened, but also the small pleasures of being in the place, too. It is rare if you mention New York uh, City to somebody, you're either going to get a strong reaction of, I love it, I hate it. Uh, it's a wonderful place. It's a horrible place. Uh, many times, not much in between. What is it about New York, uh, in your opinion, that, it, well, first of all, do you agree that New York sort of encapsulates maybe the best and the worst of what our country in many ways has to offer? Is that a fair statement? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's no passive relationship with New York. I, I like that you've brought that up. You know, you could talk to any American anywhere, and they're never going to say, oh, sorry, I've never heard of that place, or I've never thought of that place. Everyone has a reaction to it. And, you know, I was happy to interview um, at length a young man from Arkansas who got on the Greyhound and traveled to New York to fulfill his dreams there. That was definitely a story that had to be repeated and repeated. And But, you know, there are other people who wanted to leave, who wanted to get back to a different type of experience. So New York itself is a power, and the power exerts itself all over the U.S. No one can say, oh, I've never, I've never really thought about New York. Everyone's thought about it. Doesn't it also seem that, I realize some of this is historic, but not only is it a draw for Americans, it is sort of, if you were to ask, I guess, around the world, if you had one city or one place where what represents where people start their journey in America, is it not New York? Absolutely. And um, New York and London are the, are the two truly global cities. You can find every single person there. And in terms of starting the journey in New York, obviously it's been this this point of entry and so many people in the book, some surprising people in the book, talk about the pride that they have of New York being this this place of sanctuary, of welcoming people in. That statue is still in the harbor. And I found a lot of pride, um, even in these times where it's a divisive issue of, of people saying, no, this is this is what this city has meant since it's begun and this is what it still means. So definitely. If you just joined us, yours truly, Warner Lewis, as always, from the flight deck of Lewis at Large. Got a good one going here with Craig Taylor. Uh, he is a prolific author, uh, has a best-selling work called Londoners, as well as One Million Tiny Plays about Britain, amongst others. Also, you've seen his work in the New York Times, The Guardian, uh, and much more. Uh, a brand-new work called New Yorkers, A City, Its People, uh, In Our Time, which is is timely for, and certainly an important ingredient in this. Craig when you think of New York, you can think of, on one hand, uh, wonderful arts, culture, experience, opportunity, uh, boundless things to do, uh, boundless opportunities to learn and grow. The flip side is it's crowded. It's dirty. It's cr- there's crime. Lots and lots of people. 
uh, lots of there's very little elbow room there, very little sort of me space, so to speak. What is it about New York, in your opinion, and based on what you gathered talking to these people, what was the attraction to New York? And also on top of that, was there a difference in the attitudes about New York between the people that were natives and the people that had come on by their own choice? Uh, I think the attraction was that you were given access to the most extraordinary people. I mean, I look at the the people I have in the book, a nanny, a sommelier, a dog walker, a life consultant, an elevator repairman, a window cleaner. You know, these are these are people who run the city, but they are they are extraordinary and you are allowed this kind of proximity in New York to people you might never otherwise meet. Whoever you are, your other, the person different from you is there. And the street life, the, I have a street bookseller in the book who uses his charm to lure people to his table, and uh, I have a street photographer who's talking about capturing all of these moments between strangers. So I really think the attraction is this proximity, which, as you say, can get to be too much sometimes, you know? They're in your face a lot of the time. Um, but for, for a lot of people, this is the place where where these sidewalks are full, where you can see these types and um, I think that's what people are really missing right now, you know, in the midst of, uh, of a pandemic. As for the difference between um, born and bred and people who've come there, well, I liked to let them decide who was a New Yorker. I mean, people who grew up there, they can't imagine being anywhere else. They can't imagine spending a weekend anywhere else in some cases. But those who came there sometimes have even a, a fiercer attachment, a greater love to the city because... Um, they've moved there by choice, and uh, they've built up this kind of life in New York that is incredibly satisfying in a way that um, they just wouldn't have in other cities. Well, a million years ago, before moving to the Midwest, I lived in uh, a town called Upper Montclair, New Jersey, which is a stone's throw away from New York. And we went to the city uh, quite a bit for all the various reasons people come in and enjoy the things in the city. And I spent Lots of time during summers going back and visiting New York. But I had the opportunity to go in surgically, do touristy, quote, fun kinds of things uh, and observe. And it's much different, obviously, when you're there 24-7. I'm curious uh, for you. Uh, You did not live in New York, but you did go there to live, to do research and experience. Uh, What's it really like there? Did your opinion of that city change dramatically and if so how as a result of from before you lived there and the time when you left absolutely and i think the big change for me was understanding that new york is of course a place but it is also a power it is also this um, this substance almost that that propels people and i certainly felt it when i was there one of the interviewees in the book talks about it as a river the speed of the river the speed of the river you have to give into it and, and go with it. And for some people, this power really elevated them and, and enlarged them and just gave them, you know, this kind of imperious personality. Um, and for others, it really crushed them. You could see that this power called New York was, was crushing them, was hurting them actively. And um, so I got to see both sides of that. And in a book like this, you can really explore the two sides of, of when New York is a painful place and when New York is a, is a place where you are able to become the person you want to become thanks to this power. We're all defined by where we live uh, in some ways. Do New Yorkers, if they were to put 
what what helps define me as a person would the fact that they lived in New York City would that do you think in your opinion be higher up on the list of what influences them as a person versus someone maybe that lives in let's just say Columbia Missouri I think so I think so um there's a great person in the book a young woman who grew up in New York and she goes off to college elsewhere in the U.S., and she feels that the people she meets there have been sort of wrapped in cotton wool their entire lives, the other students, and that she's been through all of this stuff, you know. She's been through Hurricane Sandy, getting through the floodwaters with her dad. She's, she's been through all these challenges. And so, so she said to me, you know, I don't get knocked down very easily. And she, what she saw around her were, were people who just hadn't yet had that experience in life. And so for her... Being a New Yorker was a big, big part of her personality, and she was able to take that with her wherever she went in the U.S. What about, uh, again, New York? 9-11, obviously, was one. There have been other moments that have been lines in the sand, defining moments, and how will this city react to these various things? And it also probably in some ways forces the city uh, and those that live within it and work within it to stop, look up from the cement, look up from the rat race, take a deep breath, look around. What are we really all about? What's life all about? What are the values here? What's important to us? Besides 9-11, what other events in New York City, maybe some we don't even know about if we don't live in the city, maybe have, have caused those kinds of things, if you understand what I'm trying and kind of driving at here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think you do look up from the pavement. You do at points think, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Is the trade-off, is the trade-off still worth it? Um, I remember vividly speaking to one New Yorker, one guy who had been there for years, who said, yeah, sure, I, I will leave someday. I will get out of here if something really goes wrong. But it's got to be big, and a terrorist attack, a pandemic, flood, a financial crisis, you know, those things, they're not big enough to get me out of here. It has to be big. It has to be something large that gets me out of this city. So, so that connection was something that was just um, really profound for, for me to see, to witness in some people. And I think you don't live on autopilot in a place like that um, through, the, through the large events, through the big tragedies, and through the day-to-day life. You, you are actively engaged in it. So, so I think those who are there are just, um, they're not on autopilot. Did you get the impression from talking to these people that, 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 again, live real lives, real people? These aren't 75 celebrities that live in wonderful townhomes three months out of the year and lived in the Hampton three months out of the year, and then God knows where. These are real people. Was there a sense in the people that you talked to, were they optimistic about the future, or was there a sense of dread, and I guess maybe in a more global question might be, do New Yorkers feel life is getting easier uh, to navigate there, or is it becoming more difficult as time goes on? I think, it's, I think it's getting tougher for a lot of people. I think income inequality in the city is a big issue, and, and that's addressed by a lot of people in the book. I didn't speak to the super-rich. They didn't really want to talk, but I spoke to a lot of people who service the super-rich, nannies and personal staff and sommeliers, and, and they were able to show me that there's this very fragrant upper echelon in New York that, um, that will do well no matter what. But there is uh, you know, another part to New York that is about 
making the city work, and those people are getting pushed further and further out of the city. Um, in some ways, life is getting more and more difficult for the people who do those jobs. But for me, uh, you know, the saving grace was that, as you mentioned, there aren't 75 celebrities in the book. I got to talk to these people who are, I feel, truly interesting, you know, talking to an elevator repairman, riding up these dark elevator shafts with this guy, here, seeing how New York works. That, for me, was um, so more satisfying. But, but these professions are not easy. Um, the hotels, the, the service industry have been hit especially hard. So what these people do next, I don't know. But, um, but they're the ones that are so necessary to the running of New York. One of the ones, uh, and I'm just picking this one sort of a little bit at random, but a little bit not, Mr. M, uh, identified as a car thief. And uh, tell us a little bit about that encounter, and I'm curious as how you came across Mr. M and his willingness to talk about, I think one of the things he said, I believe, was you need to have make sure you get a, have a fast car. Yeah, he, um, he was a gentleman that I met just socially, um, Obviously, being a car thief is not the only part of his personality <laughs> or his life, but he has these skills. He had these skills. And, uh, and I just, with everybody, I just love the idea of seeing New York through the prism of their different professions. So, you know, a, a pest control officer is going to see it differently. Uh, someone who steals cars, this gentleman in particular, looks at the grid of Manhattan as a place where you always have to be turning right. You just have to be turning right, turning right. You have to be turning, and that's the way to get um, to get away when you're in a stolen car. So, so I, I enjoyed talking to him, but broadly, I just love the idea that every person saw the city through their own prism. You know, the lice consultant, the woman who picks lice, talked about how the lice have changed in 30 years. They're getting tougher to deal with, and. And I was reminded that, you know, humans aren't the only mammal um, in that city. There are a lot of other animals there just trying to make their way. So this was all, you know, fascinating to me, seeing, seeing the city through the lives and the professions of these people. What about, uh, and again, we've, a lot of times people wonder, what would it be like to raise a family uh, on Manhattan Island? Share with us, if you would, uh, examples of uh, maybe parents raising young children uh, in New York City, and tell us about that. It was a real split, I saw. In some ways, being in a city like New York is incredible for kids because, um, as we talked about before there, you know, you see all sorts of different people. You're in contact with all sorts of different people. There are, uh, there are things to do that you might not be able to do. Certainly, I wasn't able to do where I grew up. But then on the flip side, I saw, uh, especially in the upper echelons, talking to teachers and um, private teachers, this kind of competitiveness, um, this sort of drive in the city, this, this narcissism that, that filters down to children that, that I felt very sad about. I, you know, I talked to one private teacher who said that one student's life is so organized that he sometimes just locks himself in the bathroom so he'll have a space where he's not being told to do something, to take these lessons, to learn. So, so I think, um, it, it, you know, like most things, there's a, there's a flip to it. I know a lot of people who are raising kids there and doing a terrific job and having a great experience. The kids are. And, but there's always that other side where, where you think, wow, this is a very competitive place, and that competitiveness extends to children. Craig, uh, and again, we're with Craig Taylor. He is a prolific author and uh, writes uh, columns. You've seen his work in the New York Times, The Guardian, uh, The Globe, uh, and has also previously written a best-selling work called Londoners. 
uh, amongst others. We're talking about a brand new work called New Yorkers, a city of people in our time. Craig, it, the, the work is published in 2021, but are there any uh, interviews in here? Uh, share with our Lewis at Large listeners, if you would, uh, that talk about uh, the pandemic at all, or were most of these done prior to that? Most of them were done, but thankfully there was time to to add in uh, a large section about the pandemic. Um, one of uh, my dear, dear interviewees, someone who's, who pops up in the book again and again, is a, a personal injury attorney from Queens, and he uh, contracted the virus in March, and he tells the story of his experience. And for me, it was one of the most moving parts of the book. He goes into hospital. It's very serious. He doesn't know if he's going to make it. And one night, he just places a chair in front of him and addresses the chair like it's the virus and says, in effect, what are you doing? You think you can come to New York City? You think you can come to this place that I love and take it away from me? You can't. You're not welcome here. These people will fight you off. We are not going to give in to you. And uh, it still gets me, you know, this section of the book, this man staring down this virus saying, it's not going to happen to New York. And his story is intercut with the stories of different nurses who talk about just just what it was like in those in those awful first weeks um, and months. So I really, really wanted that that to be in the book, and luckily it got in. I think those those nurses need to be recognized, and their stories need to be heard as well. You know, Los Angeles is a big city. Chicago is a big city. Uh, Paris is a big city. What is it about New York that? is different from all of those cities. They are all large, lots of people, lots of issues, good and bad. What is it about New York that remains still this sort of unique, enigma may not be the word, but what is it? What is it about New York that sets itself apart? Well, I saw a lot of self-mythologizing there. I think it's a place where people can go and, and become this person that they might not be able to become elsewhere. You know, I come from a very small village. I love being known. I love being part of a community. But I also know the feeling of, you know, wanting to go to a place where you can reinvent. Um, in some ways, it's the oldest New York story, that, that idea of coming to a place and becoming who you feel you should be. But I saw it so vitally retold again and again in all of these different new variations. It's also a stage where, you know, you can live your life in, and be in touch with the big issues of your time. If you, you can be in Shea Stadium, you know, in 1986 when the Mets win. You can be lying down on Wall Street um, in, the, in the 80s protesting Reagan's treatment of AIDS patients. You can be in the Black Lives Matter protests. You can be on Wall Street. You can, you know, if you want to be on your own stage, whatever that stage is, New York really affords it, and it it just always provides. and uh, And I think that that's an eternal an eternal thing. It'll go through its issues. It's getting harder and harder to do that. Money is an issue there, but um, it will still have that draw for so many people. Okay, if we start to kind of wind down here, let me try to frame this in a way that kind of makes a little bit of sense. New York, uh, in all of its energy, all of the unique qualities that go into this big, rich stew called New York. Is it primarily, is the value of New York what happens when people come and experience it? Or is New York in some way exporting with the people that come, experience, and leave a gift to the world in a different way? Or to really get that is so well put. That is that is beautifully put, because I think it's both. I think it's both those things, exactly that. Like it it is 
taking in all of these these people, and it's there's some sort of alchemy, and something is is coming out of it. Um, I spoke to this guy who's, uh, I guess he's in his forties, but he was talking about how, you know, it seemed when he was growing up that that New York had music first. You heard it on its radio stations first, and then eventually these songs, you know, they they made their way into the rest of the country, and. And I, I, you know, I loved that image of, of something being sort of born there, birthed there, ideas and fashions and music and whatever else, and then and then spreading out. So, so I think, yeah, I think it's both. I think an alchemy happens there. People go there and they in they make something with this proximity to others, and that and that whatever it is in whatever industry goes forth. Well, the work is called, again, New Yorkers, A City, Its People, In Our Time by Craig Taylor, a very prolific uh, and award-winning author. Uh, it, it's a fascinating study of a fascinating city and fascinating people. Craig, I suppose it uh, begs the question, you've done London, you've done New York. Uh, what's the next one, Toledo? Are we going to go small town or are we going to go big again? Yeah, I want to head out into the Midwest. I'm uh, that, that would be a dream. I would... Uh, I'm Canadian. I'm curious. I want to know about about these places, and there's there's much of the world I haven't seen. So Toledo could be a good start. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, where can uh, people pick up a copy of the book? And also, uh, because of all the past writing you've done, where can they find out a little bit more about Craig Taylor? You can get the book everywhere. Um, please support your local booksellers. Uh, it's also obviously available on Amazon and, and in some of the big bookshops. And then if you'd like to get in touch, I would love to hear from any readers. My um, Probably best to go to my website, Craig D as in Delta, Taylor.com. All right, listen, thank you so much for sharing your time and your observations. Best of luck, and man, would certainly like to have you back on again. Thanks for asking such great questions. I really appreciate it. You bet. Hey, we'll be back with more right after this on Lewis at Large. Craig, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Oh, I can't thank you enough. Those were, yeah, that was terrific interviewing. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks. I, I really appreciate the compliments. We're, we're lucky that we, we're not doing this in three minutes. We've got the, the luxury of some time to do some exploring, which is kind of nice. It makes all the difference. And yeah. um, it just, is, yeah, it's a lot more meaningful. So okay. Thanks. Well, listen, you take care. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for joining us for this installment of Lewis at Large. We add new conversations every week, and we like hearing from you. You can contact us via email at warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. That's warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. And you can find out more at lewisatlarge.com or on the Lewis at Large Facebook page. And remember to subscribe to Lewis at Large. Check out Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. Now go have a great day.